Amen. Amen. I believe we've got Guy doing the reading this morning. This reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 and verse 22 through to 29. You'll find this morning's reading on page 1221 of the Pew Bible. So that's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 and verses 22 to 29. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And that is bringing, that is burning with fire. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all people, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Guy. So we're continuing our summer series, Faith and Film, and we're going to get to our reading and to our film in, in just a moment. But first, I just wanted to say a word more on what do we mean by the kingdom of God? What does the Bible mean by the kingdom of God? Well, back up a little bit to the Old Testament. This is the bit of the Bible, the big bit of the Bible that was written before Jesus uh, walked. And it's the story created by, documented, thought about, questioned, explored by the the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites. And theirs is a long history of, of suffering as a minority people being invaded and occupied by various armies, uh, various powers. So they longed for, for what they called the Day of the Lord. You can read about it in the, the, the prophets. They longed for this day. They hoped for this day when God would, would act decisively, when he would judge, when he would come and set things right in terms of restoring their lands, in terms of restoring their, their freedom, their freedom to worship, that the temple would be restored, that their political autonomy would be established of the kingdom of God. That was what they were longing for. 
when God would, their God would finally show up as boss and stand in glorious victory over all the other systems and powers that have had their day for so long. Then Jesus shows up and he starts preaching, actually, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, it's begun, it's available. It's a reality that you can participate in right now. And it's not quite what you're expecting. It's actually much more than that. It's bigger and more beautiful and further reaching. And you know all that stuff about the big judgment and victory? Well, that actually looks like the cross and resurrection and this victory over death, that death is not the last word, that love is more powerful than that. The kingdom of God is this creeping revolution of love and everyone's invited to be a part of that now. So back to our spectrum between Psalm 24 and 1 John 2 and those sorts of seemingly competing impulses The kingdom is here, it is now. It is about the stuff of this life. But the eternal kingdom of God is never limited to or defined by or summed up within the situation that we find ourselves in in these brief years. Okay? So we get to the writer of Hebrews. This, this, and we don't know who the writer of this, this letter, this sermon, this book was. But it's someone in the early days of the Jesus movement getting their heads around all that Jesus means for this ongoing story of God's involvement with humanity. And they're contrasting the smaller previous ideas of the old covenant and the smaller reality, contrasting that with this new covenant that Jesus was going on about, that Jesus was establishing So they say this, you've not come to something that can be touched. The fiery mountain, referring to Exodus 19, of the stuff of the Israelites in the Old Testament. You've not come to something that can be touched. You have come now to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the very city of the living God, with innumerable angels, and to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. Jesus is coming not just to restore the former things according to the, the former imagination, but to establish a new and a better covenant, a new, bigger, wider thing that God is doing now, okay? He says, or she, see that you don't refuse the one who is speaking from heaven. There will be a shaking of created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed, our God is a consuming fire. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Remember those words, and we're going to watch the opening scene from the wonderful film that is The Road. For those who have seen it, maybe this will be an exercise in recovery. For those who um, are yet to see it, uh, maybe it will be a help you decide whether you want to see it or not. But this is the first of three clips we've got, and this is the opening three minutes.
stopped at 117. There was a long sheer of bright light and a series of low concussions. I think it's October, but I can't be sure. I haven't kept a calendar for years. Each day is more gray than the one before. It is cold and growing colder as the world slowly dies. No animals have survived and all the crops are long gone. Soon all the trees in the world will fall. Refugees towing carts and gangs carrying weapons, looking for fuel and food. the teacher who presses pause on the video and this I don't know if you remember that feeling I do acutely this inward groan whenever you had to like pull yourself back into the room anyway um, we're going to do that three times so remember those words sorry if you couldn't quite hear um, everything uh, but those words at the end he said the child is my warrant if he is not the word of God then God never spoke and that sentence is straight out of the book the novel by Cormac McCarthy, of which the film is closely based. They say don't judge a book by its cover. In this case, I think you probably could get quite a good idea of, um, of the, the nature of the story from this, um, this cover. Now, I... Um, so the situation, just to clarify, is, is one of some unnamed events. It's not explains there's been some catastrophic events, perhaps some nuclear war, although probably not because there's not the fallout, but the um, perhaps some asteroid event. Anyway, something has completely uh, destroyed 
society as they knew it. The whole ecosystem is died. All the trees are dead. There's no animals left alive. Um, it says, and of human society, says within a year there were fires on the ridges and deranged chanting. Cannibalism is the great fear. It is the bleakest story. Basically, it's the whole thing is that a father and a son struggling their way along the road in the hope of getting to the coast because perhaps in the sort of corner of their imagination there's the possibility that things might be different at the coast. I love a good post-apocalyptic drama. It's a sort of genre that I have a kind of um, affinity for, appetite for. So when someone recommended The Roads to me, I was all over that, and I'm settling down on holiday with this book. And I'm just, you know, that whole, like, you know when you start that, the, the, this alternative world of a novel just starts to, and your imagination settles down, this escapist pleasure. Um, I was getting into that nicely until I turn the pages and get to that bit of the first stomach-churning accounts of cannibalism, and it was just this punch, this uncomfortable punch in the gut. It is not an easy read. True to the book, the film, some of you know, is not an easy watch, which asks the question, what's the point? What is art for? What's film for? What's a novel for? What's the potential of it? What should it do to us? Is it about offering an easy escapism and a distraction and giving our emotions a gentle run around before safely returning them home to the happy ending before bed? Or is it about waking us up, about disrupting us, about disturbing us into seeing things better, seeing things more properly, to be able to think more deeply, to even be able to live better lives? The road is certainly not comfortable escapism, but it is, I would say, a good film. Interestingly, the word apocalypse, biblically speaking, simply means revelation, like to reveal something, an, an uncovering, an unveiling, an epiphany. And so we're going to watch the next clip, and I wonder as we watch it, what epiphany, what revealing, what apocalypse might happen for us as we encounter the world of the road. Let's watch the next one. Listen. We have to talk. That man back there... Not many good guys left. That's all. We have to watch out for the bad guys. We have to just... Keep carrying the fire. What fire? Fire inside you. Are we still the good guys? Yes, we're still the good guys. Of course we are.
have a father and a son counseling themselves there's this recurring line that we saw at the beginning there where they're saying we carry the fire this kind of reassuring insistent hope and then he's if you could work it out he out of this um, old vending machine he finds the solitary can of coke and that's this 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 moment this rare moment of uh, lightness within the film as they they share this um, relic, really, of a world that has been lost. So the first thing that this all provoked in me as I uh, made my way through the book initially um, was this fresh, fresh appreciation of things, things like a sugary, bubbly can of Coke, thanking God afresh for the joy, um, noticing the, the, the joys in my life, the joy of being able to, at a wedding recently, slip into the hand of my nine-month-old daughter, a little pink shrimp, one of those sweets, and watching as it made its way to her mouth, just her world um, was rocked by this, this moment. Don't tell Laura about that one. <laughs> Fresh appreciation for all sorts of things, actually, that we would commonly take for granted. All the systems of society, of culture, of our way of life together. Things like filling in my tax return this last week took on a different significance because of having seen the road. It was that bit easier to do, actually, which I'm thankful for. All of the norms that hold our life together, many of them can be improved, of course they can, but so many constructs that are there that enable a, a, a more proper valuing of one another, of human life. These, these constructs that protect us that engender trust, that prevent us from destroying one another. There's so much that hasn't fallen apart. On a different scale, though, and I think this is how the film might powerfully speak to us, life does fall apart. Some of you will, have, will know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Has life ever fallen apart for you? What about when you've given the best years of your life to some project and it's failed? And it seems to have come to nothing because it actually has failed and all that you hoped that it was going to be isn't, hasn't taken shape. What about when you've given all those years of your life to a marriage that is quite suddenly imploded and the circumstances kind of underwrite and undercut some of your memories and history and what do you do then? What about when your country seems to be heading towards uh, hard times, economic failure perhaps, a political instability? What are you gonna, how are you going to respond? How are we going to be then? What about when that pastor or that vicar that one that you have uh, followed, that has blessed you over all those years, suddenly is caught up in a scandal that seems to have reached back years as well and is, and is unrepentant in that moment. What are you going to do then? What about when the church movement that you have sowed into and shaped your life around and, and drawn purpose from all of those years seems to be failing, seems to be shutting down? I'm talking about situations in which we might have substantial, even adequate reason to despair. And the psalmist, Psalm 11, poses the question to us, saying, when the foundations are being destroyed, what shall the righteous do? When the foundations are being destroyed, what shall the righteous do? In the story of the road, this question is posed in the most extreme, stark terms. Why does the father carry on? How on earth does he carry on, given everything that has been lost? In flashbacks, he remembers how things used to be, the meaning, the beauty, the possibility that that life once carried, but that was then. That is gone. This is a whole new, different situation. Old systems of meaning have gone. Old systems of faith have gone. All that is left in this moment is the boy. And yet, he is my warrant. If he is not the word of God, then God never spoke. What does that mean? I think what it means is that this one fragile, vulnerable face in front of him is the mandate that remains to do the right thing, to carry on, to show a protective kindness, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it seems futile, even if he kind of knows this is going to come to nothing. Can't imagine anything else. And in this way, I think this film has got so much to say to what it means to us to participate and keep going in the reality of the kingdom of God. Even as things may have fallen apart, even as things may seem like they're disintegrating. What does it mean to join in with the one in whom all things hold together? When the foundations are being destroyed, what shall the righteous do? I've got three things to say. Number one, remember that whatever has just fallen apart is not the kingdom of God. Your country is not the kingdom of God. That charity initiative is not the kingdom of God. Even your church movement is not the kingdom of God. 
And we pray that all of these things may be unto the kingdom of God, may do a really great job of pulling in the right direction, of facilitating the stuff of the kingdom, the life and the health and the peace and the rightness restored of the kingdom, may even reflect the kingdom, but they are not in themselves the kingdom of God, which is never going to be summed up or limited to the stuff that we can touch. Situations change, things go off course, people fail, our projects, our initiatives, our institutions, they come and they go, but this does not threaten the reality of the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God, an unshakable kingdom. Even when things have gone horribly wrong or come crashing down, even in that moment there is new mercy. Even in that moment, there is a big enough boss still sat on the throne, still offering his presence with us, still gently helping us to put back any of the pieces that need to be picked up and put back together, still still offering a new day, one of hope. So, when stuff has come crashing down, firstly, if it's come crashing down, it wasn't the kingdom of God. Number two, remember that obedience was never about being effective anyway. But we were supposed to see all of these things, amazing things happen. We were going to impact the nation in this way and in that way and in that way. Sometimes being true to the kingdom, fidelity to the kingdom, seems quite ineffective in, in changing anything on a structural level. This is where we need to have the longer, more biblical imagination uh, taking root in in some of our expectations. Daniel Berrigan, who is a poet, a priest, and activist, uh, he died a few years ago. He says it like this, the good is to be done because it is good, not because it goes somewhere. I believe things done in that spirit will go somewhere, but I don't know where. I don't think the Bible grants us to know where goodness goes, what direction, what force. I've never been seriously interested in the outcome. I was interested in trying to do it humanly and carefully and non-violently and let it go. It's not about the outcome. It's about faithfulness to the truth of things, to the kingdom. The father and the son have got that lovely idea that they carry the fire. And they reassure themselves later on that the father's reassuring the son. The son's finding out we're not going to eat people, are we? Like it's happening around them. No, because we carry the fire, right? Yeah, we carry the fire. In Hebrews it said that our God is a consuming fire. This fiery holiness that is love. We carry the fire. We are to love, to do good. Not because it's effective, just because. Not because it's pragmatic. Because it's true. Because this is who we are. And we are trusting ourselves to this wider providence of God. Okay, number three. It's one human interaction at a time. This is how we participate in the kingdom of God. Answering the call of the word of God that is written in the face that is right there in front of us. Whenever someone is loved, 
whenever someone is dignified, protected, provided for, included, welcomed, there is the kingdom of God. And this is where the, the father in this film, sometimes ambiguous in, in many of his actions, but this is where he stands, I think, to us as a, a sign, as a pointer, as an epiphany, as an apocalypse. One last clip for us, and I was, I was really tempted to spoil the film and take you all the way with me to the end, but I won't do that, which leaves it as uh, an experience for uh, some of you to have. But in this last clip that we're going to see, near the beginning of the film, the, the father is, is washing the hair after a horrendous moment of, of violence. The, the father is washing the remains of it out of the hair of his young boy. And um, the book describes it as like some ancient anointing as he evokes the forms. Even when things don't make sense anymore, he carries on. And it's, it's like he's baptizing the child in this, in this clip. Even in the most awful of circumstances, he continues to, to dignify, to protect, to anoint. Let's watch. said do not refuse the one who's speaking from heaven the road reminds us of the word of God that is written in the face of the other especially in the vulnerable other so even if things have come crashing down for us and I know looking out that for some of us that's exactly what's happened even if things are not making sense right now even if it feels like we're losing our faith let me encourage you that our article of faith, even this week, could be to act within that insistent kindness that insists on the goodness of things, that insists on the value of that person right there in front of you. So that even when you're tempted to join in with the stuff that eats people alive, left, right and centre, lashing out at them, treading down them over there, using that to get ahead, even when that is the reality that we sometimes find ourselves swimming in, we might be those who carry on along the paths of peace, carrying the fire, 
trusting ourselves to a wider providence and find ourselves with a longer imagination, subjects of an unshakable kingdom. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray together. And we're going to sing shortly if the band want to warm up or whatever you need to do. Get in position. But let's pray. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your life and your health and the peace of your comfort fill this room, fill our lives, creep into the circumstances all around us. And we pray especially now for those who have seen it all crash down. For those who it feels like things are disintegrating and we pray for the comfort of your peace to be with them especially. We pray for the gift of courage. We pray uh, that you would encourage, encourage us all towards uh, the sort of insistent kindness that is the stuff of your heart that is true. Help us to carry on participating in the bigger picture of your kingdom, even when it's really hard, even when it doesn't make sense. And we want to thank you for the strong hope. We want to remind ourselves of the strong hope that we have of where things are heading, of reunions that are coming, of all manner of restoration and consolation. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on your unthreatened goodness, on your unshakable kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.